Good morning, everyone. All right, it is uh, it is good to be here this morning. I I feel honored that I would be asked to come and and preach to you guys. Again, for those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, Willie Simons, and I'm one of the ministers at the Straffordville EMC. Uh, I think it's good to swap preachers or to share preachers uh, amongst ourselves, fellow churches, and you can kind of get a little bit of a connection going on and uh, maybe just get a little bit of a picture of what's going on uh, in the other churches in our conference. And uh, so I thought maybe it'd be a little fitting to to share a little bit of what's going on in our church before I get into the message. Um, we are in the middle of our, our church building project, as most of you probably uh, already know. And things are going well there. Uh, we're doing some of the, uh, I think the drywalling is supposed to be starting, um, at, I think next week actually. And so that's going well, and we're really hoping that if things continue to, to go well, that we, there's a possibility we might be in the building by the end of the year. And so you can keep us in your prayers for that. And uh, actually, today we're having a fundraiser, and uh, so right after the service, we're going to be heading back, uh, going to the fundraiser. And it's actually a clay shoot, so it's going to be a bunch of pacifists out there with shotguns. So if you... If you guys, if any of you actually are interested in that, feel free to come out. It's, uh, it starts at 2.30, and so the time's a little tight, but it's probably going to last about two hours. And so if you're a little late, that's fine. But if you want to come out, uh, there will be shotguns there for you and the ammunition's provided. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, but, uh, yeah, it's 125 bucks per person, so feel free to come out to that. And if you, have, if you want details, just talk to me after the service, and uh, you can come out. And everybody shoots 25 of those clay pigeons. And uh, there's prizes for the winners and stuff like that. So anyways, uh, I thought I would pitch that out there and see if, uh, if anybody was interested in that. Um, so that's going on. Uh, our pastor, uh, Pastor Abe and Margaret, they are uh, taking a few weeks off. So they're, uh, I think they were here actually last Sunday. And uh, they're just taking some time off to rest and recharge. I think it's very difficult for pastors to do that, um, to take that time off and to actually uh, take it as rest. And uh, I understand your pastor is also on sabbatical. Uh, we just met him on the way here. Uh, him and Anna were at the Tim Hortons in Blenheim. He had said something about just trying to get away from you guys as far as possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you guys are very blessed. I really appreciate Jake. Uh, I've always appreciated him. Uh, ever since the first time I heard him preach, and so I would just encourage you guys to not take uh, take them for granted, and to support uh, your pastor. It's very important, I think, to do that. Anyways, like I said, I I'm glad to be here today, and I trust that as we look into God's word together today, that we will be blessed. And I think that obviously, when we do that, when we when we open the Bible, then uh, and we we behold Jesus, we're always blessed. And so let's do that today. There is a Psychology Today article that I came across the other day. And uh, in this article, uh, writer Graham Collier, he shares a story of a 19th century American writer named Charles Dudley Warner. And in 1891, Charles Dudley Warner, uh, along with some friends, went to go see the Grand Canyon. 
And this is his description of when they first laid eyes on it. So they're coming up to it, and these are his words. He says, Our party were struggling up the hill. Two or three had reached the edge. I looked up. The Duchess threw up her arms and screamed. We were not 15 paces behind, but we saw nothing. We took the few steps, and the whole magnificence broke upon us. No one could be prepared for it. The scene is one to strike dumb with awe or to unstring the nerves. One might stand in silent astonishment. Another would burst into tears. And so Charles was amazed at what he saw, and along with his friends. And I think that it's a beautiful reaction to a natural wonder, isn't it? Wonder and awe. Well, the writer of this article goes on to share his own experience of visiting the Grand Canyon uh, relatively recently. And he was there and he observed the tourists that were there. And these were his observations uh, that he wrote. This is what he says. He says, They breezed along the rim in groups, conversing loudly, children racing about all over the place. From time to time they would pause while someone stood on the edge to be photographed before continuing their promenade, very much as they would likely do on promenading the New Jersey seashore, rarely pausing to stand and stare, as the poet Woodsworth described the fascination that comes when facing a natural wonder. I certainly can't say that I saw anyone struck dumb with awe, as Charles Dudley Warner put it over a hundred years ago. And so the writer of the article is wondering if we are losing our sense of wonder. And, you know, I think he's onto something. I think he's onto something. Things seem to be getting less amazing for people. Now, there may be any number of reasons for this. Uh, the writer of the article, he shares how uh, he thinks a factor may be, uh, he says that uh, one of the factors could be excessive exposure to stimulation in a computerized environment. And I think he's onto something there as well. But I would like to add to that, that I believe that in general, people tend to lose their sense of wonder and awe as they get older. As we age, when you're young and you're full of vitality, the opportunities seem endless, everything is new, uh, you have so many possibilities. And then as you get older, things tend not to surprise you anymore. You kind of learn how the world operates and maybe you get disappointed by people or by circumstances. And it's very easy for us to become dull and calloused and we lose our sense of wonder. Well, I would like to say today that that is not okay. Especially for us as believers, that's not okay. We cannot afford to lose our sense of wonder and awe. Because in comparison to the Grand Canyon, we have something much greater to behold and it should be producing in us much more of a sense of amazement. But I wonder if perhaps we haven't looked at it serious enough. Perhaps we haven't looked at it as much as we should be. And so what does the Bible have to say to this? What is this thing that should be producing in us a sense of amazement? a sense of wonder and awe. And for that, please, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 
Sometimes, uh, I don't know if you guys ever go through series of books of the Bible. Uh, we do that sometimes. And you'll go through like a whole chapter in, in one Sunday. Well, today we're just going to look at one verse. One verse and not even the whole part, the whole verse, just a part of the verse. And that's, so it's 1 John chapter 3 verses, uh, verse 1, sorry. But this is what it says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So just a brief overview uh, for the sake of context so that we know what's going on here. First uh, John is believed by the majority of scholars to be written by the Apostle John himself and in his later years. So he's an older man at this point. And one of his main concerns in the letter is the importance of true doctrine. So what we believe is very important to him. And uh, specifically what we believe about Jesus. And also important to him in this letter is the importance of devotion to him and a love for others that flows out of a, lo- of a recognition of God's love for us. And then he ends chapter 2 with this. He says in verse 29 of chapter 2, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And so he mentions this thought of being born of him. He's talking about God. He mentions being born of God. And it's like it triggers some, uh, something in his mind, and he kind of gets like sidetracked a little bit, and he, he ponders how this came to be that people can be born of God. And so he's about to show us what fills him with a sense of wonder and awe. He says, see, see. So he thinks of the fact of being born of God and he's reminded of how this came to be and he he encourages his readers to see something. Some translations say, behold. And the idea here is that we're supposed to stop what we're doing and actually consider something. To consider something. To try and understand this thing that he's about to draw our attention to. And what is that thing? That thing is the love of God. Of God. He says, See what great love. See what great love. The word translated here in English as great could be translated of what kind, and some translations do that. Behold, what manner of love, some translations say. It could also be translated as from which country. And so, what, what the deal is here, it implies that this love is not common. It's not common. It's like saying, where in the world did this come from? It is something, it is something so out there, so unexpected, so amazing, that one, uh, it would be fitting to describe it as Charles Warner described seeing the Grand Canyon. To be struck with awe, to stand in silent astonishment, or to burst into tears. You can really sense John's wonder here, can't you? See what great love. Behold, what manner of love. Now remember, this is John the Apostle. So he would have been with Jesus when Jesus was, had his earthly ministry. He, would have, he saw the miracles. He reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. He witnessed the empty tomb on that first 
Easter morning. And then he had breakfast with, uh, on the beach with Jesus after his resurrection. And here he is, an old man, still amazed at the love of God. So my question is to you, are you amazed at the love of God? Do you wonder at the thought of it? Timothy Keller says this. He says, The mark of knowing God is that you see God's love for you as a miracle. The wonder of God's love. Do you have it? You see, God's love meets our deepest need. We all have a deep desire, a deep need to be loved. And so what ends up happening, we are constantly trying to display to the world, to other people, a version of ourselves that we think is worthy of being loved. Right? So what ends up happening, those people love someone or think they love someone that's not really you. And for me, that's a shame. And this happens in the church too. We try to hide our failures. We try to hide our sins from each other. When the fact of the matter is, we're all pretty messed up. We all have issues. We all have sins. And for me, what, what happens there is, it's such a shame because I think one of the beauties of what the church should be is missed out on. And that is that we love each other for who we really are. That we actually know each other. And we know our, our failures and our sins. And we still choose to love each other. And Paul talks about we bear with one another in love. It's a beautiful thing. And I think we miss out on that when we put a display on to other people, uh, somebody that's not really who we are. And so this is what God does for us. God loves, God loves us for who we are. When did he love us? When did he start loving us? Was it when we started changing our messed up lives? Was it when we started to clean ourselves up? Or when we even showed an interest in changing? That was not when he started loving us. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners is when Christ died for us and God showed his love for us. So in our worst, God loves us. I hope we can, along with John, stand amazed at at this love. Now, what exactly does this love look like that John's talking about? What specifically is he referring to that prompts him to call God's love so great? We just touched on it there in Romans 5.8, but uh, John get, also gives us the answer a few times in this very letter. So let's take, a, let's take a look. A few verses down in chapter 3, verse 16, this is what he says. He says, This is how we know what love is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then in the next chapter, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God giving us his Son to die as a sacrifice for our sins so that we might live through him is the great love that John is talking about. Often we think of love as a feeling, 
right? We, we love someone and we have all these feelings of love. And I think that's true. Oftentimes, love is accompanied by feelings. But in the Bible, first and foremost, love is an action word. It's an action word. It's a decision to act for the good of the other. And that is exactly what God did. And it is most fully displayed at the cross, where Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could regain our lives. And so the way we behold the great love of the Father is we look to the cross, because that's the greatest display of love of all time. See what great love, and then he keeps going, the Father has lavished on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. So it gets better. Not only is God's love great, he has given it to us. And not only has he given it to us, he's lavished it upon us. And I believe that this was key to John's sense of wonder in regards to God's love. John recognized that God's love is a gift. It was not something that he earned. And so, you know, if God's love was something that John thought he earned, he would not have been amazed at it. He would have been owed it. And there is the great divide between merely a religious person, so somebody that just... um, maybe goes through the motions, we could say. Somebody that uh, maybe looks good on the outside, everything seems good, they come to church, uh, maybe they pray, they read their Bibles, maybe they even serve in the church. That does not necessarily mean that that person is a Christian, a true believer. A true believer has at least some sense of wonder at God's love. Some sense of, wow, God loves me. If that's not there, then I wonder if you've really looked at it if you've really uh, taken a serious look at God's love for you. There needs to be some sense of wonder because God's love is a gift. And John recognized that. Timothy Keller compares it to... uh, Timothy Keller compares a religious person coming to God like an employee goes to their employer on payday to get their paycheck. Right? They're not amazed that they get a check. Right? They were owed it. They worked for it. It's not like when you get your check every other Thursday, you stand amazed and walk around to the rest of the shop, bragging to everyone, look at this, my boss. Look at the great love of my boss. He gave me this paycheck. That's not what it is because you go to him and you know, well, you already worked, you put in your hours and now you're going to get this paycheck. That's not the case with God's love. We didn't work for it. He doesn't owe it to us. But yet he gives it to us. He lavishes it upon us. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, While they are congratulating themselves, I have to lie humbly at the foot of Christ's cross and marvel that I am saved at all. God lavished his great love on us as a gift. And then he keeps going. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Children of God. So when John asks us to see and behold God's great love, he's also asking us to think upon what that love brings about. And what that love brings about is our adoption into God's family. We become children of God. John wrote in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, 
To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so God's love is the means by which we become his children. And it's a gift to be received. Have you received it? Have you received God's love for you? It's a gift, and it's for you. Have you received it? If you have received it, you're a child of God. And then he goes on. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's like he's just driving this point home. It's, it's like he's saying, you know, we're not just theoretically God's children. We really are God's children. We really are. This is something that should be real to us, that we should have a comforting assurance about. You can really tell here he's trying to hit it home in a way that affects us. This, this truth that we're God's children is a truth that needs to be experienced and and change and affect the way that we live. Thomas Goodwin compares it to how an earthly father's love affects his child's outlook on life. He says, To imagine a boy and his father walking along together. The boy knows that he's his father's son. He knows his father loves him, but then his father picks him up, hugs him, and says to him, Son, I love you. I would do anything necessary, even die if needed, to give you everything you need. And he puts the boy back down and the boy's eyes start welling up with tears. He's overwhelmed at the love that his dad has for him. He experiences it. And what a, what a game changer that is when somebody experiences love like that. When we know that it's for us. And I think that is part of what beholding the love of God means. That we realize it that we realize it is for us in such a way that we're overwhelmed by it and that we live that out by walking in confidence that we are truly God's children. And as Paul says in Galatians, that our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It's a beautiful thing. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So again, I pose the question, Are you amazed at the love of God? If you have never been, perhaps you should ask yourself if you've really looked at it, actually considered it, experienced it. Or ask yourself if you're perhaps more like those tourists at the Grand Canyon, just casually walking around, taking a a look here and there, but never actually beholding the wonder. Or maybe you've had it. Maybe you have had it at one point in time. You stood in wonder, but you have grown cold or indifferent. Well, I would like to look at some ways that we can cultivate a sense of wonder at God's love. Three ways. Firstly, we can cultivate a sense of wonder at God's love by beholding the love of God. This is obvious because we've been talking about it the whole time. It's right in the text. Behold the love of God. See what great love. I really don't know a better way to do this than for us to just open our Bibles and read. But not just read it, like really soak in the message of Jesus and consider the extent to which he loved us. Also, and this, uh, this is also one of, uh, one of the main points in 1 John as well, is that we do this with other believers. This whole aspect of fellowship, First John, he, he talks about that in there. And so I think that's the way that God set it up, 
that we don't live these lone ranger Christian lives, but that we do it with other believers. So we behold the love of God with other believers. And it's a beautiful thing if we can do that together and we grow together and we struggle together and, uh, and we wonder and are amazed together. So beholding the love of God is one way we can cultivate a sense of wonder at the love of God. Secondly, pray to God to open up our eyes to see our desperate need for His love. Our desperate need and dependence for His love. You see, we need to realize that we need to realize that we really need God's love. Because our sin has separated us from Him. Uh, John talks about that in the first chapter of 1 John. He says uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so if we have no idea about our own sin, or we just don't think we really have sin, then we don't, under, we don't realize that we need forgiveness. We, and so what ends up happening is we presume on God's love. Well, based on my performance, God loves me. Jesus said in Luke 7.47, he says, But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, he's not saying uh, here that some people have little to be forgiven. We all have a lot to be forgiven of. What he's saying, rather, is that we need to recognize how much we've been forgiven. And when we realize that, then we realize how much God actually loves us. And when we realize that, and only then can we truly love others the way that we're meant to love others. And so we should be praying that we would see our need and realize how much we have been forgiven. And I think when we see that, then we'll have a sense of wonder for God's love. Thirdly, have faith like a child. Have faith like a child. As the passage says, that is what we are. We are God's children. Jesus said in Matthew 18 that in order for us to come into his kingdom, we need to become like little children. And I think children kind of have a natural sense of wonder, right? They're excited about everything. Everything's new and exciting. And they have this this innocence and this this wonder. And in that regards, we should become like little children. We, We should have that kind of faith. And I think we would do well to remind ourselves often that we are God's children. We can never exhaust discovering the love of God. It's always like a new thing. Wow, God actually loves me. It's crazy. He knows me. He knows me like through and through and he still loves me. What What an amazing thing. We have the best dad ever. One who will never leave us or forsake us. One who lavishes his love upon us. In conclusion... I wonder how Charles Dudley Warner would describe Christians if he wrote about us, if he wrote about our reaction to God's love. How would he write about it? Would he see us as more amazed at God's love than he was at the Grand Canyon? I really hope so. I hope he would observe us in wonder and awe and amazement at God's love for us and that we would be living out that great reality that we are God's children. One way to see how Christians have understood God's love is to look at the songs that we sing. Have you ever paid attention to some of the songs we sing? I sure hope you have. Christians have been writing and singing about the wonder of God's love for 2,000 years. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. 
Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, right now we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your love for us. It's such a great gift, Lord, and we receive that this morning. And we just want to thank you, and we want to thank you that we can be called your children, for that is truly what we are. And I pray that everyone here, that we could grasp this wonderful truth together and live it out. Uh, Live it out in this calm assurance that, that we know that we're your children and that you have lavished your love upon us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.